everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today at RIT Podcast. This is Isaiah Diesel, joined with my partner in crime. And uh, how are you doing today? How's the little Sheila? All good. Yeah, both girls are fine. Um, busy day, lots of work. Um, went to view a car to buy and literally just got in the door. So crazy, crazy right. day. And so, Adam, you and I, we've interviewed, let's see, we've interviewed a very popular author. Uh, we have interviewed, uh, let's see, who else? An Olympian. Who else have you interviewed? Oh, that comedian. That's very interesting documentary came out of came about him. I got to tell you, we've interviewed about 70 people. This is by far, I think, going to be the most interesting uh, episode. A uh, couple months ago, I saw a Vice, uh, a, a quick documentary on Vice. And it's literally such a crazy story that if you were to tell me this story, I would instantly call BS on it. Because there, it just, it's too unbelievable. It's like, there's no way this actually happened. But apparently it did happen. And we're joined today by Brains. Is that is that right? Brains, Brian? Yeah, Brain, Brains McLeod is the art, artist name. But you can call me Gavin or whatever, wherever, wherever he feels good. Brains. Brains is good. Brains is good. I like it. A lot of people still call me Brains. There's still, believe it or not, people I know in the industry who that's, all, that's the only thing they know of me. So every now and then I'll kind of run into people and they'd be like, Brains. And then they'll be like, wait a minute wait, wait like you're not even yeah you're not who you are you know that's kind of yeah. like crazy but oh we're gonna get to that <laughs> in a second but first of all uh, where are you calling out of plymouth the opposite well, of the country out of. i'm talking about our guest all right <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh i'm in london okay you're in london and, and by the way how long you've been living there real quick in London since I since I moved down here for the for the settle and brains thing so it's got to be 20 years now oh so um, you never left wow okay all right yeah, well, we're gonna left, get to no. that in a second but before we do we're just gonna ask you some real quick uh, questions uh, we call it friendly fire so it's gonna be like a lightning round and I try to answer as quickly as possible okay cool all right are you a dog or cat guy dog, dog. Adam fish and chips or pizza Fish and chips, although I love pizza. Top three rappers of all time. Eminem. It's very hard. Method Man. No, you know what? Eminem, Park and Biggie, just for their impact. Thank you. Thank you. You're about to lose me with, with Method Man, but he's good. Meth never really had the impact of their albums, but yeah, I love his voice. Actually, when, when this head used to support uh, Braids, I had a Wu-Tang Clan shaved in the back of my head. It was pretty when I was like in high school. But all right, Adam. Um, favorite female vocalist. Oh, this is an interesting one because I love female vocalist. Vocalist is my favorite thing, and it's there's it's a, such a rich world. So right now, currently, is my girlfriend Carrie Ann. Good answer. Um, I think I think if you if you go out to Spotify and check out her song "Caught in the Dark." You'll hear the most beautiful ethereal vocals that you ever imagined on a track. Um, she's worked with Imogen Heap, and I love Imogen Heap um, and Agnes Obel. Those are my, th- my top three right now. Right now, so but I would say Carrie Ann is uh, way, yeah, killing it right now. Okay, all right. Maybe we'll give away a few copies uh, of her album from this as well. But okay, if you had to own any giant feline, uh, which one would it be? Any giant feline. Mm-hmm. Any giant 
cat. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Jaguar, cheetah, um, lion. They do I wouldn't have a cheetah because they'd just run away. It'd be a nightmare. <laughs> you know, imagine your, your dog gets out the, the yard. It's hard enough. It's <laughs> yeah. a cheetah. It's gone. Um, I, I, pr- I probably wouldn't ever, but for the sake of the question, <laughs> I would say a tiger, a Bengal tiger. Oh, nice. Uh, Gray? I'm all out, mate. That's, that's me. Okay, then this is the last one. If you were going to get killed by any fictional uh, bad guy from any horror movie, uh, who would it be? Who would you want to? Who would you want to go down the hands of? Um, probably Kruger. I'd like. <laughs> yeah, I'd like everyone. a run. I'd like a. I'd like a run in with Kruger. Yeah, that, it's a prestige. Okay, so, all right. So this is this is how we're going to do this. So far, your story has had. You've written a book. You have. There's been a, a small documentary, a bigger documentary, and you've done a lot of interviews. So there's probably nothing that um, that we could talk about out here just from the, your actual story that's like not going to be ha- been covered multiple times. So what we're we're going to try to do is we're going to try to get a little bit deeper about uh, some of this, some of the things, and maybe some of the lessons behind uh, your story. Okay. So in order to do that. What we're going to do is I'm going to start off and I'm going to give a two to three minute summary of what I've seen. And then we're going to let you go for about five minutes on filling in some of the biggest details. And then we're going to get to some of the smaller things that we have a lot of questions uh, to ask you over. Right. So you ready for that? Yeah. Okay. So I want to preface this by saying I used to date a girl from South Africa, which is, I, I guess, where you're born. And she introduced me to this uh, documentary called Searching for Sugar Man. And it's about this guy who makes like a record and then he like just disappears. He doesn't, no one can find him. There's like all this mythology behind him. And then he goes, he just goes back and lives a normal life. But this record winds up resonating with a lot of the people in South Africa and even winds up contributing to like the Indian of the apartheid, like, like giving something anthem for this movement. That's, that's rising against the, the racism. Well, when I saw that, I, like th- there's literally a part in there where a journalist says, this would say, seem like if he created this story, it would be the most unbelievable, unrealistic that no one would even want to buy because it's, it's just that out there. And so those two stories, that one and this one, I got to tell you, if you presented either of these to me, I would call BS and I'd be like, I don't even want to listen to that story. But I'm going to try to give um, it in a nutshell very quickly, okay? So you and your, your your buddy are living in Scotland, and you guys are very talented, extremely, extremely talented. This whole story aside, the music is just wow. But you guys go down to, to London to audition. You get totally rejected, totally uh, devastated. And you go back and you said, we're going to fake like we're from California, right? So you guys pretend, you guys cut some new music, pretend that you're American, you're Californian, you're speaking with an accent. You make this elaborate backstory, somehow are able to come down and convince everybody of this and and, uh, get a record deal, wind up living an extremely crazy lifestyle for about two years, and then it all came crashing down. Uh, is that kind of like a general idea of what happened? Yeah, in a nutshell, yeah. Okay, so if you can give us a five-minute version yourself, 
and uh, then we're going to get into asking you some of these questions. Yeah, I'll give you a bigger nutshell. Okay. Um, it's interesting what you say about like kind of stories that are unbelievable. As a writer, I, I like look at a lot of stories out there and, and I write some stories and TV stuff and screenplays and stuff. And every time I write stories, people always go, dude, it's just, it's unrealistic. It's, there's no way this could happen. And then I just go and show them the real story of the, or the documentary or, or an article about it. And, and people are constantly blown away by, there's nothing more crazy and shocking than real life. Mm-hmm. It's just that everyone is so programmed by the norms that they don't, they, they, they just don't see the outside the box. But in a, in a, capital, in a capitalist world, people are trying to make it and people are doing the extremes to make it. Um, with us, I, my dad grew up, I, when I was growing up, my dad broke his back building stadiums. And, wow. and, I, and I saw, I always looked at it like he's killing himself for us. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to work a hideous job I hate. And, I, and I, I had done all these hideous jobs and it took time for me to keep getting beat up, keep being a creative person, working all these bad jobs that are killing my soul and spirit. So I decided, no, I love this. I'm completely in love with this. And I had gone from being completely in love with football. At school, I was kind of uh, jumped uh, by kids on the on the day that I was very close to uh, signing a professional football contract and I got jumped and beaten into a coma and I had to kind of go I'd lost football so when I kind of found um, music my uncle put headphones mm-hmm. on when I was in in the hospital and I would hear all these rappers Park Biggie um, you know Wu-Tang Clan a lot of the, these amazing rappers and so when I came out of it years on music was just in me I, I would just rhyme all the time without even trying it would just be there and so when I met when I met Bill we just got on like crazy and we and rap was a thing that was like kind of this bond between us we obviously liked all the same things we were skateboarders we were into all the same things but the rap was a a deeper way of communicating it was a there was a deepness there to the way we kind of spoke to each other that no one could kind of understand almost like our own language mm-hmm. So when we came down to London, um, we were so good. Like, and and the thing between us is that we were so scared that we weren't good that we could never accept we were good. So we would try harder. We'd work and we'd we'd, we'd play this game porcupine. We'd rhyme at each other, battle each other every day, every minute, anywhere we went. We would just constantly go at each other in a funny way. So when we came down to the audition, the thing that people don't understand is that there was a, a block that went round that uh, a queue that went round the block twice. So you can imagine how of, of um, Leicester Square, the entirety of Leicester Square. So um, that is huge. Covent Garden and Leicester Square. This this queue was going round the block twice. So we came out of the tube and we saw that. We look at the end of the queue and it's like we're never getting in. There's only a limited amount of time that they have the doors open for an open audition for a major label. So we just basically hopped in and we started battle rapping people for their spot so we went from one part of the queue right down to the front battle rapping we must have beat each about 80 people what? um before before people were just starting to get out of the way and let us go go through oh my by, the, God. by the time we got to like a few people from the front people were just like well you know people were cheering for us and like jesus christ like dude, 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 these, these guys are, and everyone was going these guys are the real deal these guys are the real deal you know when everyone else was just kind of like dressed like um it was, it was like are you the next eminem was the name of the audition and everyone else was just kind of like you know 
it was like kind of a fancy dress, you know? So people, there weren't really, there was a lot of really good rappers who were there, but it, the majority was kind of fancy dress time, you know, mm-hmm. peroxide hair, just kind of wanting to wannabes, you know? So we just annihilated everyone. And then when we got in, we were so confident. We were so like on a high and forgotten all the kind of identity stuff that goes along with rap and hip hop. Forgot all that. We were just having a great time. Mm-hmm. And so we went up, we went into the room, we saw the A&Rs and, and we, we put our track on. The guy puts our track on. It comes on in the middle of the beat. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So we're off to a bad start straight away. Mm-hmm. We've been hijacked straight away. So we're like, and then our confidence now is getting, mm-hmm. is getting crushed, you know, because we're like, Jesus, like, what's going on? It's all gone wrong. And we started to rap. It, as soon as we realized that it didn't matter how good, because we did one of those songs where we put all of our best <laughs> punchlines mm-hmm. up front, mm-hmm. stuff that like would just make everyone laugh, you know? And there was nothing from them. And then 20 seconds in, the kind of the girl who was uh, with the A&R, Carol, she, her face started to crack up. And I was, you know, it's when someone's laughing, but you haven't told a joke, you know? And so you're kind of like, yeah, what's going on here? And then, yeah, and they both started laughing and the guy in the center was just like, all right, cut it, cut it. And he was just kind of like, what is this? And we we were like, what do you you mean? We're like a, a hardcore rap group, like what? what's going on and he was like you're scottish <laughs> and we were just like yeah like what's what's the big deal he's like have you never seen he's like, have you never seen mtv like like scotland is see you jemmy hats it's 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 um it's willie the groundskeeper it's it's men in kilts showing their bare arse it's it's it's, it's not rap you know look at mtv and so and so they just kind of annihilated our souls at that point and i I mean, we 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 went went out, and I was like, I was like nearly in tears. It was soul destroying, and um, we went for a second opinion. And the guy who the guy we had spoke to this guy who we went for a second opinion. We kind of broke into the into the his company, and uh, we kind of like ma- managed to kind of blag our way in. And he sat down. Now this was an underground guy. This guy was signing English rappers. He was an underground guy. He he owned um, Hip Hop Connection, was the biggest European uh, hip hop magazine. And he sat down. And he, and he actually, we said, look, we've came thirteen hours on a bus. We're not leaving until you give us a chance. And he played our songs. He didn't listen to his rap. He just played the songs. And the beats would come on. He would be like, oh man, yeah, oh yeah. And we're like, oh, finally. And as soon as we start rapping, he's like, next track. And then again, next track, next track. And then he took the track CD out, threw it across the table. He was like, what do you want from me? And like, Jesus. He was like, listen, don't make me say it. And I was like, say what? He's like, you're Scottish. You sound like the rapping proclaimers. Oh, God. And we were like, whoa. Oh, and that, God. And that, that was the thing that killed us. So for me, it was a case when we went back, Bill and I didn't speak for ages, you know, but that was the, in the time that we didn't speak, I was suffering from a lot of like kind of, stuff like depression and kind of not understanding what to do you know um i was taking uh meds because i wasn't able to sleep i've had like night terror since i was a kid and it was just hell i was like insomniac and all i could do was sit and make beats all day long i got kicked out of uni so then i didn't have um the kind of uh the funds then to pay the rent and everything everything just went downhill so quick and then i saw a tv sh- a film called secret of my success which i already had seen um, but it came on TV when I'd taken um, a really kind of pretty hardcore benzodiazepine. And so I was kind of a bit all over the place watching mm-hmm. Secret of My Success. And it, But then it hit me in this kind of hazy, 
you know, way, it hit me like, that's, I'm going to do what he, he's done. He basically kind of cons his way to the top of a com- company by just letting everyone else think who he is. Not really yeah. by saying he's anyone, but everyone else kind of creates the story. And I just thought, wow, that's it. And in that main state, I started, I, I kind of was. <laughs> oh, God. Was, oh, God. I was out of my mind, but in that main state, I turned on, <laughs> I turned, turned on the mic and I started rapping in a, in a really bad American accent, recorded a track. <laughs> took it to a party of all my friends and played it and everyone was just like oh damn who's this like jesus christ is this like m's new track mm-hmm. and i was like oh god this is gonna work and then i told bill <laughs> and that was it and then that was the catalyst of why we kind of went on and did what we did but and it, but it was a got- it just snowballed it just kept getting bigger because I, I i saw in the like in the interview multiple times you're like Oh God! Like we we aren't prepared to do this. Like I I saw the the, the video where they 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 say you're you're going to introduce for uh you're going inter- to open up for D12 and you can see the look on your, your face. It's total sheer. You're like, uh, we're not prepared for this. But anyway, yeah. Okay, so so right off the top, there's a couple of things I want to say. First of all, uh, we have a little bit of a connection here because uh, are, are you familiar with the band Corn? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so they're from my hometown, and uh, our, our where I graduated high school is called the 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 Highland the Highland Scots. So that's our mascot. So that's how he learned how to play the bagpipe was nice. uh, at our high school. But okay, so there's that. Uh, w- one quick thing I wanna I wanna observe. If you take a look at American Idol, okay, or I guess there's probably other iterations of this, but Simon Cowell who's from, the, I think, the UK, but he he became famous for, like, just totally thrashing people, ripping them to shreds, and so having had that happen to you, um, what are your thoughts about the way that judges uh, do things like that, because it seems like, like, you could, you could sit, you could give some kind of constructive criticism, but it, it doesn't seem like, like, they just want to really rip people and destroy their dreams, so having experienced mm. that, can you speak on that? Yeah, well, I mean, look, in your life, you should have, I, I firmly believe in like coaching and, you know, sports coaching and, and the relationship you build with a coach is someone who kind of like builds you up, breaks you down and then rebuilds you. Mm-hmm. And so you should in your life be told, look, you're shit, you know, don't do that. You're this crap, you know, don't do that. You, you know, are like, you should be told that, but you sh- if you it's a great way of, of kind of weeding out the bad, you know, by saying you're not good, you know, but if it's something that you love in your soul and you're not delusional, the problem with those shows is they, they hang on the kind of early parts of the shows is that kind of um, the, the, the audition sites hang on the kind of delusional mind state of people who just want fame <laughs> rather than people who want to be really good. So if you're like in any creative arts or in any sport, your your real aim is to become amazing that's your Uh number one goal so if someone says to you look you're crap you should be going ah fantastic and in my the audition we went to if they had said look we don't like your diction we don't like the way you're doing it too fast if they had anything like that i'd have been great brilliant cool i'll work on that like i love being told that this is what i'm not good at that's the only way to really you know truthfully learn especially as most of the times you will you will understand or know that you've got a problem with someone so when someone says it 
it hits home and then you try to change it, you work on it. But the idea of just kind of when you see someone is is clearly, you know, they're clearly not with it and they're trying to sing and you're right. kind of just slamming them. That's horrible. Yeah. You know, that that's just plain for ratings. And just one observation, too, because uh, I think in the documentary, you use the word heartbroken. So as deceptive and dishonest as it is what you guys did after watching some of the the, the interviews, I'm like. Dude, I don't blame these guys at all, man. If you if you treat <laughs> someone who's this talented, who has yeah, right. and I'm just gonna say this: this has nothing to do with appeasing you or trying to BS this interview. But I've listened to that stuff. It's as good as, if not slightly worse than Eminem. It's like literally at that level. So being um, slightly worse than Eminem is still an amazing thing. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Slight, and, and I mean, I mean, literally slightly. Uh, because yeah, I, mean, I mean that's 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 amazing because that's someone who's got hundreds of thousands backing and oh, we I know. essentially we essentially did everything ourselves. So I know, oh, I know. It, it's it, yeah, Dre behind him, one of the, probably one of the best producers yeah. of all time. So yeah. I just want to point that out because that's something that really stuck out to me when he used the word heartbroken, and then he said you were de- determined to prove everyone wrong, and you said you were hell bent on making it. So I just wanted to say that that was. Uh, something I pulled out from there and uh Gray go ahead all yours. yeah sure good to meet good, meet, good to meet your brains mate um I, I did see your documentary a couple I've watched it twice actually it was good I watched it with Zion last night um very fascinating very fascinating yeah, it's I think, back on the uh, back on the iPlayer as well right now oh is it as well oh fantastic yeah. yeah we we picked it up on um on on Amazon yeah um so firstly, I think the, the thing that stuck out for me at the, right from the start was the fact that um, after you were rejected, you went home and you, um, and you, and you worked harder, right? Mm-hmm. So my first question is, do you think that had you approached it from an honest angle and been more persistent, um, honestly, do you think you would have ever made it by doing that? Well, the, the complicated thing is the use of the term honestly, honest and truth, because, because so in our audition, we were told something that was very important. It was like, look, you're Scottish, not look, you're not good. So we had no issue with the fact that it, it wasn't about our skills and we've just beat 80 guys right, each. Like, right. we, we know we're great. Like, that's not it. But the bigger problem is, is we can't change anything then. Like, what do you do when someone says it's just your country that is not allowed to embark in this hip hop thing? It's just your nation. It's just who you are. It's inherently who you are that's not allowed to play this game. For me, I found that foul. I found that abhorrent. And I, I, so I wasn't then going to play there play their game so for me i could have then went away tried for years and years and years as a lot of rappers that i know in scotland have and i know in south africa and in australia have tried and tried and tried and tried working their hard as they can made great songs pop songs but no one touches it Mm -hmm. so that's them Mm. being honest with themselves they can't work any harder but for me, a deeper form of honesty is to know that it's it's not you, it's them. Okay, well, then now be honest with yourself and do what you have to do to go out there and prove them wrong. So our plan was let's get in, get the record deal, make a big stink, prove what, that we're incredible showmen, and then we'll go, ha, 
see this industry is 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 just horrifying they are they're rip they're ripping people off every day there is people who are abused daily in this industry they say 90 that 99% of the artists they sign never get released it's a it's a hideous business it's getting a little bit better now but it was at the time it was so bad and something had to change and we were kind of I was obsessed with the idea of go down and prove them wrong Mm -hmm. you know and anything that happens, and I found that as a weird form of, of, of honesty, because it felt like I'm being so honest with myself that I know right. that it's, it's, I can't change this. But if I did change this, knowing that, that this is the reason, then it could work out. But that is a dangerous yeah. game to play, because essentially you're dealing with your identity, you're dealing with your mental state, right. and you're dealing with kind of things that you probably, at a certain point, can't control. Yeah. And that's the and- and so in the in the vice in the vice um, documentary, I was so touched. I mean, I, I I'm getting chills just thinking about this because when it says like you were talking about, it's really hard to fake something you're like 100% not. And you're like the reason why we could have done this for so many years. You're like you go, you said you go because we we were those guys, and there was like so much passion. In, mm. in your voice when, when I caught that. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I actually like faulty 0% for this because something else I want to talk about real quick. Cause I told you my, this ex girl who, uh, who I was dating was from South Africa, but as we know, probably during the time you're going up there, there is an apartheid system. So there is uh, lots of racism and lots of discrimination and then mm-hmm. you go from that to being like the, 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 in the ruling class. And then you go to a place like Scotland, which is, I guess, where you are, um, your ethnicity is from. And so mm-hmm. now you're, you're, you're treated with racism from a different side. And of course, there's a long history with England, with mm-hmm. um, Earl Grey's ancestors. So uh, what do you what do you think about um, what do you think about that experiencing both sides of, of the racism element? Yeah, it was a really strange time to be alive. I mean, South Africa is the only the only real revolution I've ever seen happened there, you know. And I saw that, um, and I saw people of of different colors and cultures coming together to overthrow um, a kind of the last of the Nazi Reich. That's what happened in South Africa. The that's how far back it went and and it was you know there was a history of that is just is fascinating the the fact that you know the end of the world war ii there was a there was a a deal made that gave the kind of the the bureau it gave them africa and parts of africa so that's why they kind of that the apartheid was allowed to grow for so long but coming out of south africa which was to me like just an incredible place to to grow up and, and be a part of and see change happen before my eyes coming out of somewhere that's taught me to believe in hope and believe in change landing in a hellhole of north motherwell which looked like a kind of a, a post-apocalyptic bosnian wow. like a horror show you know it looked like a war had happened i couldn't understand wow. you know you're walking in the streets and there's glass everywhere like everyone's just looks horrified wow. you know just areas in scotland that are completely strangled wow. strangled by you kind of the kind of the, the apartheid of the of the uk government right, right so it was it was and, and i got beat up every day for being different oh 
you oh, know, for man. standing out, for looking different. So for me, it was like that come and, and I was seeing, you know, like I saw what um, Thatcher had done to the steelworks and I saw like, mm-hmm. you know, people were just broken people. So I'd come from one country that had a hellish thing happen, but then was fighting to make change. And I landed right. in a country that still had its kind of like the, the grip of the kind of um, the leaders kind of with their hands around the throat. So so it taught me kind of in, in being different and getting beat up, it taught me not to, to be different. It taught me to mm-hmm. st- stay inside, insular, play your part, you know, and that's just not who I ever was. So, um, so for me, eventually, all the trauma and everything I'd gone through, becoming Brains McLeod was something, it was so rewarding and kind of, it, it allowed me actually to be who I really was because right. who I really was was a performer, an entertainer. Right. I just want to, I just want to make people laugh. I want to make people entertain. From the days of like three years old doing karate, I just want to impress, impress my parents. Playing football, I just want to make everyone cheer. And and so when you go inside yourself, it's it's a horrible way to be kind of imprisoned, you know, like mentally imprisoned. So becoming brains was just an, a way of giving myself a character that I could go on stage and be like hey you know just i'm just gonna be me now and there's there's no rules for this for these 30 minutes i'm on stage or for this time you know playing brains this character the reason it was so seductive and addictive was because i could actually just be me unadulterated no rules you know and i think if we were all in that situation of like just go and do exactly what you want and be who you really want to be we never actually hurt anyone we never really we never did anything that anyone that would consider bad you know <laughs> like we didn't, we didn't do anything bad we we, we just created a, a a group and we went around and we entertained the life out of people every time that's why people loved us that's why no one wanted this question but wait a minute we're you know there's, there's some inaccuracies here in where you're from you know and people would constantly kind of catch us out like oh i'm from cali i'm from uh, yo, you, you guys uh I heard you guys, there was a person one time, we were just about to sign the deal, and there was someone in Sony's office, this girl, Ali, who was basically saying that she was from Huntington Beach. And a part of our story was that we kind of like left Hemet and slept on Huntington Beach. And then we kind of started from there and we got a job in a skate store. And she was like, oh, no way, I work in a skate store. And then I literally said a skate store that she worked in because I knew oh that Oh, my store. God. And it was just like, oh, no. So moments like that where you just. <laughs> wow. The lie just bang hits you in the face constantly. Yeah. Would you say that that was uh, of all the moments that you nearly got caught? Do you think that that was probably the worst, or was that? Uh, no, really- that wasn't even up there. That was uh, that was just f- fun being able to like what what we eventually did was our our improvisa- improvisational skills just grew to be. You know, like when you think of uh, fast twitch thinking, where you're kind of like something happens and you're like, I need an answer, I need an answer. When you're yeah, battle yeah. rapping. It trains battle rapping and freestyle right. trains the brain to be very quick, 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 right. quick, answer, answer. Because you're thinking one side, like you're thinking of this is the problem that's gonna come, gonna come, 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 come. And this side's going, answer, answer, answer. So we got so quick. Um, one of us <laughs> we we play this, we play there's these roles where one of us would talk and the other is just would just listen. So one of us is telling the story, like, yeah, you know, grew up here, grew up best friends with M, you know, went and lived in Detroit for a while, like telling this bogus story, just oh my fun. god. You know, and the other one's listening, going, oh, God, what is he doing? What is he doing? Like, this this person doesn't believe it. And, like, waiting for the person to speak up. And then that person's got a plan of, like, over-counteracting that person. So, oh. in that, so in that situation, when I when I said that, 
you know, she said, no way, I, I, I worked at Slam. Like, no way, you know? And then Belle was like, yeah, but were you there? And then Belle picked a, a time and she, and she was like, yeah, I was there then. She's like, we weren't. <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. Because he asked a question that no matter how she answers, we've got a way out. If she says, no, I wasn't there then, we go, oh, we were there then. And she says, no, I was there then, like we weren't there then. So boom, way wow. out. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Okay, okay, so a couple of things. One, so I'm from California, I'm from Bakersfield, which is, I guess you said you've never been there, but it's two hours from LA. One, yeah. and my, actually it's funny, because my, my ex-girlfriend uh, lives in Hemet now. So we were like totally in love. But anyway, uh, so, so it's funny because I could actually hear in the interviews and stuff, I could actually hear the faking of the accent and especially in the music, I could totally hear it. So, uh, that is, that is amazing, but I got to say something that that stress would totally eat me up on a daily basis because you were talking about sometimes where like the record company was like, Hey, come in, we got to have a meeting. And you're like, Oh God, did they figure me out? So that yeah. stress, that anxiety would totally weigh, would, would weigh down on me. And we've all been in situations where like, let's say you owe someone money and you don't have the money to pay them and you're, you're like just kind of around them and you're just kind of just waiting for them to mention that, you know? I mean, I had a job situation here with my visa and it was like weeks and weeks going on and, and my, my, my boss just would sometimes ask about it and sometimes not. So I was always like so nervous around her whether or not yeah. she was going to mention it. And some days, you know, it just it wouldn't be anything. So uh, can you speak? It was stressful to watch, man. Yeah, about the stress, the anxiety, like on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. and the thing is, is like <laughs> every day, when, when you're a performer and you're, say you want to be in a show, like a, a stage show, every, every, you do two shows a day sometimes, sometimes they change the script. If you're in a movie, if you're making movies, the screenwriters, someone on set sometimes changes lines. And it's quite, stressful every second minute of doing these things because they're big things anything that um is is a big idea a big plan is always going to be stressful so in some way um we were kind of a little bit used to blagging and building stress and holding anxiety and then exploding with a kind of release our, our good thing was that we always had to release let's go the next morning we're in the studio bang like just let it all out and like that was the kind of cycle that we used to kind of distribute the unrest and the anxiety but it kept adding up and adding up and adding up so there's times where not just in almost getting blown out the water because we almost got blown out the water multiple times i remember being <laughs> Being in a bar, um, we were with we were with a guy who was our product line manager, Steve Warby, and um, a bunch of my best friends. I didn't know this, but they were in London oh for a skate. They, they were in London for a skate oh competition, and we basically are going down the, the escalator in in kind of uh, Leicester Square, going down oh the escalator, and they, a group of four or five of them, are coming up the escalator. <laughs> so I, Bill. Luckily, Bill had completely changed his hair and he had like blonde hair and, lo and longish. So him turned, would have turned back to them. They couldn't, they, they couldn't really see him, but I was right in dialect round with them. So I just did the Carlitos way thing. I just hit the deck. I just, boom, I hit the, I lay down on the escalator, just pretended I was like having a laugh. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to chill out here, bro. You know, like, oh and just, my. Had a, and, 
and Steve was just like, all right, that's, you know, yeah, that's weird. And then waited for them to go by. And things, so things like that. I remember a girl that I dated was, we were in a bar in Oxford Street. And you, this is how small the world is. I dated this girl for a while. Bill knew her really well as well. She actually worked with Bill. <laughs> and where I'm in this bar and and it's uh, everyone from the industry is kind of there because it's um Jamelia's manager's kind of birthday party so <laughs> so I go to the bar and I look across and there she is and she's like hey and I can see her mouth and gab, gab. You know? oh and I'm God. just like and again again I just hit the deck and I crawled around the pub oh my on my hands and knees to get into the toilet so I could text Billy. I end up in the girl. I end up in the girl's toilet, and I'm like, Jesus! <laughs> and I'm hiding. I'm texting Bill like, We've got to go out of here. Kate oh like, my oh. god! Oh my god! So, and so daily, Strange. these things would kind of build up and build up and build up. But then we'd kind of find magical ways out of them. We just kind of improvise, and then we would like explode with laughter when we're leaving. You know, we'd be like, wow. "How did we? How did we not get caught now? Like this is crazy." Yeah. And and it kept happening right up to the Eminem D12 thing, which will probably that was the big one. That was the kind of that one, and the thing with our passports. If you could go back and talk to your 18 year old and 20 year old self before you're getting ready to do this uh what would be your advice from the lessons that you've learned over the last 20 years that's a very philosophical question and if you know anything about kind of the grandfather paradox or anything like that anything you could say could make it worse i mean mm -hmm. if i went back and grabbed myself and was like, oh, do this and do this. And, you know, you'd be like, oh, you know, you'd, you'd, it would uh, make it all. I, I don't think I would. Um, I, obviously, I'd want, I would want um, my younger self to just have less self-doubt, have, I, I, I did a lot of things and I did a lot, and, and a lot of things were impulsive and they were listening to the gut. But I would have wanted to do that more. The the, the times of self doubt, and the times of kind of like um, uh, getting lost in trauma and and kind of running away from trauma, those are all natural things. But I, I just wish younger that I would have faced those traumas earlier. But then in a way, um, what I did as brains was facing the trauma of mm -hmm. everything I'd gone through, but just in a very bizarre way. Um, mm -hmm. I can say now that, you know, at my age now, I feel like I've lived multiple lives, mm -hmm. like, and, and realized and learned multiple things about myself in a way that I think is, is quite hard in a normal life to learn, you know, like I've been put through unbelievable pressure. I've tried things that are just insane that you shouldn't do because you will definitely get into trouble. There's, there isn't that many questions anymore, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm kind of happy that it's turned out that way that I could be at this age and kind of like have a kind of easily open chest breathing in life, you know, rather than, you know, oh, have these questions of what if, what if this and what if that I don't have right. any of that I don't have the what ifs, you know, I, I tried my hardest to be a professional footballer I got there something happened. Fair enough. I still love playing football. I haven't lost the love of it. I tried really hard to become a great producer and then I just became it very quickly. And now I just love being a professional producer. I love being a writer. I love doing all the things I do. Um, and when I get to a, a, a point in something, 
I feel like um, this is easy now. I, then I want to do something more. I want to become mm. a great screen, screenwriter. So for me, it's never about making mm. it in the past as a young kid used to be like these superficial things that everyone else wants. But truly deep down, like, who am I? What do I really want? What will make me happy? Well, that would be just living a creative life every mm -hmm. day, wake up, do something creative. And that's what I do. So it's a weird way of kind of winning, but by trying to do this other thing and then realizing more and more truths about yourself along a journey. And so all I would tell anyone young is buy in, take the journey, even if it seems kind of wrong at times. And, you know, I think, Obviously, that can go down a different path, but I had mm -hmm. good parents and I, I only ever really wanted to impress my parents. So, you know, I, I never I was never really going to go down the roads of doing anything bad or hurting anyone. I can never do anything like that. I just I don't have that upbringing. So um, essentially, I really have always wanted to entertain people, inspire people and just be creative with every living breath. And luckily, I'm there now. Uh, great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, firstly, I want to con congratulate for you for for what you did because a lot of people would disagree with what you did, um, <laughs> but I I think what you guys did was right. Um, you you were treated badly, um, and and you reacted based on that treatment. So, kudos to you both, mate. Really. Yep. Um, so, uh, as I say, a lot would disagree disagree with me. Um, Not me. But, and that's and, and that's that's totally within the right to do. And, and I would say that I, I would disagree with the idea of I've got to get this job. I've got to get this job because then I've just, I'll have money to buy the things I want to have. And I, I want mm -hmm. to get this car and I want to get that. And then you sit in a job and your boss, you know, craps on you and people don't like you or, or anything goes wrong. You stay in a relationship too long and you do all these things. Sometimes a lot of people that kind of the status quo is to stay here doing the things that are safe. Don't try too much. Don't, don't go for something you really love. And then I've just seen too many people in my life get to a certain point where they, they kind of really wish they gave it something a go, you know, like, um, and so, so I, I find it like, the, the wrong thing would be to sit and work in a call center and just mm -hmm, take that mm -hmm. because I did it, you know, and I saw the soul destruction of calling up someone and selling something down, you know, right. working marketing or working as yeah. an accountant, working as a lawyer. There's so many ways I could turn around and say, that's a bad job. That is politics. That is it. No one wins in that game. You're yeah. going to hurt someone. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, you, you know, you can't really, you can't control that. Um, so you got rejected, you went home, you had to think about it. You thought you thought of a way around this. Uh, you pr pretended to be American. You went back. Um, they let you in. They signed you up. Um, you were listened to effectively purely because of how you spoke. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you first first part of the question is, firstly, what do you think the biggest reason that you guys didn't sell millions of records was? What 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 was you know what was the straw that broke that camel's back and also the, the the other half of the question is had you sold millions of records and the truth had come out what do you think the reaction of the industry would have been then the reason we didn't sell records is we stopped the up the record coming out um or at one point once we got to um on the day that we signed our lawyer was trying to get our passport office for ages and and we were just ducking him. And then eventually when we came with the day of getting signed, he was like, you can't sign this deal because I, I don't know who you are really. 
you keep writing your name's brains and syllable down on contracts. You can't do that. You're, commit, you're committing fraud, you know? And we were like, come on, dude, come on. But then the, the girl who wanted to sign us came out into the hallway and said, what's going on? And we were like, oh, we can't sign. And she was like, nah, nonsense. I trust them, you know? And so we signed. And that whole thing until eventually he kind of confronted us at the Eminem show after this, after the gig and said, look, I know who you are. Cause he's seen us on TV Things got big, got so big, so fast, because we went on MTV. We, we, we were so good on MTV that they offered us our own TV show. And, and it, wow. was like, it was like getting crazier and crazier and crazier. Everyone who would be around us saw crazy potential. And so all these things were getting chucked at us. You know, it was blowing up before it even had a chance to release the record. Like we'd created all this without a record out there. So when our lawyer told me straight up, like, you bring that record out because our record was due to come out on the friday it was like if you bring that record out and and the stuff i've seen on forums people are talking about you you one went to school with you in scotland if, if this comes out they will sue you for the money back because they don't they won't take the risk they will not take the risk of of the million that they've already invested in you do you have the money he was like Wait, where's the money do you have it because if you don't have it your, your parents will have to pay it back you'll go to jail and your parents will pay the money back and, and we were like, at that point, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We were made out that he was crazy and just carried on with that tour. But I called off putting out the record at that time. And so my plan was then, you know, coming up with a new harebrained plan was to become a punk rock band with mm -hmm. that also had hip hop in yeah. it. Because punk rock, no one really cares where you're from at that point. It's not about right. the street, it's not about identity. We could have then phased the accent out. And we probably, at that point, we could have then turned around and said, ah, it was all, that was all, all a kind of joke. Yeah. And yeah, then once the, the, the label rebranded it as a punk rock album, they would have probably seen the light there. But there was just too much... Um, risk and the reason that kind of fell apart is because bill didn't believe in that we kind of went for it but bill was also kind of running out of time he'd got married his uh his um, wife was having a baby so he was running out of time so we never had the time to to kind of yeah. execute that game plan of having the punk rock re record ready to go but people loved that people at the label loved it we yeah. never got the, the misconception of the story is that we got dropped we never got dropped the the group bill and i then blew up with each other and we try to kill each other and we we, we were kind of the, the pressure at that point of every single day of almost the pressure had built us up and you know bill having been pulled away and, and real life calling him and yeah this kind of you know not real life kind of keep him here so he developed that kind of anger to it and so that anger was kind of pushed on yeah. me and it was it was always going to blow up and so when it blew up it blew up big and so yeah. once it blew up there was no way of coming back from that fight that we had so um, but that was was in many ways the saving grace, because if that record did come out, the thing about how much money our company had puts into, you know, at that point, it was past a million. They, if they can get their money back, they'll do it. They won't risk, you know, the, you know, they, they would have to see that it doesn't matter that this has happened, you know, and people are calling them out as, you know, they, they would then have to see the, the, oh, yeah, but let's work on this. Let's let's yeah. work with them now. And let's, let's kind of put this whole thing as if we meant they wouldn't risk that. There's no chance they would have done that. It's easy wow. now to look back. What, what if they, you know, what if we just brought them in on it? Like they, it's too much money, too much risk. There was a yeah. part in our contract that actually said if this, and Eminem's got it in his contract as well. If at any point Eminem changed his, his hair from when he was really slim shady and his records were yeah. doing well because of that, if he changed his hair to black, he would have, he, he, he could have been sued for wow. any amount that the record had lost. <laughs> 
yeah, so you know, that contract, that kind of identity contract uh, clause is in your contract anyway. So we knew that, you know, that, so us getting out and, and the band kind of disbanding at that point, two and a half years, we'd recorded six albums in that time. We toured, we had done over 500 gigs, we had broke records and everything we were doing, but it was just, it was, it was, it was yeah. boiling and boiling and boiling. And then something yeah. bad might have happened because the, the fury and anger that was building up between us wasn't natural and it wasn't nice. And it was really good that we went our separate ways at that time. It's yeah. unfortunate that we had to have a horrible fight and we had to, but we kind of are good now. And, and it's kind of like, it's good that it went that way and the journey kind of, kind of then the story coming out and you know and it's been a nice thing it's been a lovely thing people find right. all the music they go on spotify and they find it and it's got it's it's, it's weirdly got a new fan base all over yeah. the world and i'm not in debt to a, a crappy label which you right. know, every big artist is so it's so, a, quite quite a blessing <laughs> so okay a couple of things i want to point out here first of all major major kudos to bill for sticking with the women and and having uh the child the, 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 like that's amazing yeah. that takes such commitment and such love to do something like that so yeah. i just have to say that um absolutely another thing that uh, i want to say was that he said that he said that i guess he said this about you that he thought that you were chasing the past like you you were you couldn't really get over that element and he said that he was chasing the dream where he says that the dream was chasing him. So is that still, um, are, are you still making music uh, at all? Or do you have anything out, any other projects that are still going on about this? Yeah. So that I can understand that point of view. If you, if you aren't really an artist, mm -hmm. like, then, then you will develop that point of view. But for me, as the person who made every beat, who made, who wrote every hook, who was writing the lyrics, like, I was, I, 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 all I wanted to be was a, an artist, a true artist. And so I was that and I'd become mm -hmm. it. I was making all the beats. I was mm -hmm. taking an idea from my head and then boom, alchemy, creating it. And, you know, and Bill wasn't. So he didn't understand that relationship to that. that that's pure love there for me. I'm in love. That is it. You know, so he didn't have that relationship with music and with what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. When Bill left, I did have a kind of like, oh, I'm not going to do music for a while. And it was hell. It was, mm -hmm. it was hellish. Mm -hmm. So I kind of rediscovered music. Wow. Um, through kind of a, a, a person I loved since I was very young. She died. And then a very best friend of mine, kind of he died. And it was music that got me through that point. And I started making punk rock music and the music that I loved to make. And then I started a new journey of just like, a lovely, beautiful music journey. And I've had great relationships, long relationships. I'm in a good relationship now. It's never really been about choosing. I wasn't choosing, um, you know, music over family. I just wasn't in that place yet mm -hmm. to, to think I could raise a child. Or, or mm -hmm. I, I had a lot of stuff. And for me, music is a way of dealing with trauma. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to have kids when I, or, or, or set up a complicated life. When I had so much trauma, I was still dealing with it. And I was dealing with it with my art and so for my decision to to stay and become a, a you know really become the musician I wanted to be and the writer I wanted to be um that was completely right that was perfect for me and Bill's decision to go when he didn't have that relationship with with the art and and just be a father and be a mm -hmm. normal person that's the perfect decision for him so mm -hmm. it, it kind of was a perfect way to go mm -hmm. you know it, like the worst thing is if 
we might have been kind of um, playing these roles, but you don't want any one of us to actually be playing the role of, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm playing the role of a musician. You know, you kind of want to be a musician. If, and if you don't want right. to be here, you know, and so that was the right decision he made. Great. And so mu- musically now, yeah, I, 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 I don't have that. I've, you know, I've got records coming out, a new record coming out, and I've made 11 studio albums now, you know, and, and I've written books and I'm writing screenplays, working on the, the motion picture. And it's kind of just like a really calm, peaceful relationship with music now, you know, and which is which is great. Great. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for that, mate. Um, yeah. Um, one question I did have was, um, so you, 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 you go into an office and you sit down and someone says to you, um, right, here's 70 grand, right? There you go. 70 grand. Just sign this bit of paper here. What, what went through your mind when you walked out of that office and what did you spend the next two or three days doing? I mean, you had 70 thousand. £70,000 in your bank and your young guys in London, what did you get up to? Well, Matt. the thing with that, the, the thing that's, that you have to understand is before we we got that money and before we went, went into Charlotte's office, and you have, to, you have to remember, like, if anyone is going to go and do a deal like that where they're doing a kind of sort of merger of a business, which is a lot of these contracts are, we've got a business, you're going to give us money, you know, as a, as a kind of... Um, you know, a kind of a front, you know, a bit of an advance. And so before that meeting with Jonathan Charlotte, we were like on the bread line. We were, we didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We we came down with um, 90 pound between wow. us, you know. So wow. traveling, traveling into town was going to cost a tenner, you know. So we, and we had to get to certain events. We had to go and blag into certain events. We'd buy one beer and then the rest of the night, we'd be filling up that beer bottle with water and then kind of playing that we're kind of uh, we're a bit drunk. Wow. Um, yeah. So we'd be playing those characters, but so that did, we'd kind of done that a few, a few times and we'd caused quite a big buzz at events that we'd blagged into and made everyone know who we were. And we'd had a lot of big things happen with Island records after us and stuff. So they knew who we were when we walked in the door that day. But before that day, before we walked in that day, we were talking about we do not have a single cent after this meeting. After this meeting, <laughs> after this meeting, we are, we are walking home. We don't have a way to get home, you know. Wow. So we were beyond broke. So when I, we, we sat down and Jonathan Shallot came in, was introduced to us. We really got on with the other dude uh, who was there, JD. He loved us. When Jonathan Shallot came in, he's a businessman. He's this kind of like, dude, he's just like, he's not kind of like a like cool, like, you know, kind of musician type guy. He's a businessman. And he sat down and, and JD had kind of convinced him like these, everyone's talking about these guys. They're the next big thing. So he'd heard a lot about us. And he was like, cool, what do you want? And I was like, well, listen, Jonathan, we don't go out of bed for less than 70K. And Bill looked to me like he was going to kill me right there. He was like, we are broke. We do not have money. <laughs> and you're telling this guy that we don't get out of bed for 70K? What's wrong with you? I don't, know, I don't know why I chose 70K. We could have said more. You know, I, I don't know what. I just was like, I, could, I felt the vibe was that they wanted us. And he was going to do anything to kind of get us to be a part of his company. And so he kind of got up, laughed, got up, walked out. And then uh, Bill was like furious at me. JD went after him. Bill was like, you've just ruined this. He was angry. And then JD came back and was like, yeah, he said, yeah. 
And we were like, what? But he said a piece. <laughs> what? Huh? A piece. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the advance for wow. us. It was 70k oh. each. So wow. but so obviously we didn't get 70k put in our banks. We got we met, made sure they gave it they gave it to us in kind of like monthly installments. But so we we went from having nothing to all of a sudden having like 5k in the bank in the bank every month. And you know it was a it was it was nice. All of a sudden, you know, we didn't we we didn't buy anything crazy. We did go out a lot. We had um South African friends who came into London. We had some Scottish friends who came down and be a part of our crew. So we did go out and party a lot. We had a great time, but we never spent anything. We never bought anything extravagant. All of our kind of, the, the how we blew like a million in a year, eventually when it came down to it, was just having the greatest time of our lives. I Every bet. Day we just, we'd buy the bar out sometimes at places. We'd, we'd tour and we'd just have the craziest days, craziest, I, honest times, you know? I bet. And that cost money. We would get, we would get, um, we had like account an account at Addison Lee and we'd get taxis everywhere. We wouldn't go on the tube anymore. We're like, why go on the tube? We can get a taxi everywhere. And eventually wow. at the end of the year, these things, bills are, are like huge. At the end of the year. So here's something I want to talk to you uh, about. Um, recently, there's been, a, especially YouTube, uh, self-publishing and et cetera, et cetera, Spotify, there's so many different ways for people to make it uh, without doing a record label. Uh, in fact, there's a guy named Tom McDonald. Uh, are you familiar with him? Mm -hmm. Amazing, yeah. incredible uh, rapper, but he does like all of his own stuff. So yeah. um, do you, do you think that's, um, do you think that allows people to be more true because to themselves and their music, because from what I've heard, show biz, show business is mostly business. Um, this is what I've heard from people on the inside. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of like the, the companies do a lot of pimping as you're talking about Eminem with his hair, or I was watching a, a documentary about, um, you know, the band AHA from Norway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they were doing like this development with them and it wind up taking for like that song, uh, take on me that wind up taking like two years because they wind up doing so many different takes and different videos and, they were they were developing them and they weren't just letting them go out and, and do the kind of music they wanted to make. So yeah. do, you, do you believe that that's better, that that's the best way for younger artists to do is you just do the, the stuff themselves? Yeah, I mean, it depends what your ambitions are. But if you like the best way to do it now is is to one, become incredibly amazing at what you mm -hmm. do. Um, obviously do loads of gigs and if you can't do gigs then go online open up a twitch channel start streaming build your audience find the ways to build the audience and don't go anywhere near any kind of company um or even even any kind of management or anything like that don't go anywhere near the industry until you've put two or three years mm -hmm. of from the point where you are amazing so it can take you five years to get amazing but mm -hmm. two or th two or three years in of like uploading things right. out, playing live every all the time on twitch like building it till you have a really big audience and then go out and tour and enjoy the road and become a real musician and to the point where you're selling decent amounts of merch and so so that when when any artist goes to a label 
as a business merger, if you are not turning over money, if you're not selling to your fans, if you don't have a big enough fan base, then if they want to sign you, then basically they want to rip you off. They're basically just signing you to hold you in case something happens, Mm. but they don't have any genuine intentions of making you a star or anything. So the way to do it is, is to kind of plan for the long game of just being a great musician, build up, build fan base. And then once you've got like a thousand fans, that are buying all the time or once you've got like a really big Twitch community or a big Facebook page community until you've got something big that you can walk into a label and go, this is how many CDs I sell a year. This is how many tours I I do. This is what I get paid. This is how much I made last year. Um, And I would like this type of deal Mm -hmm. where you say, I would like you to give me 20 grand and I'll give you 40% of the record. Or, you know what I mean? When you're in that position to do real business, until that point, just stay away from it because there's nothing good that's going to come from from the industry side yeah. of things early and, on, you know. Uh, and, and just real quick, even bands like um, Sync and TLC, they wind up yeah. signing some records where they literally worked for years and didn't make virtually anything. Yeah, just made basically, no enough. money. Yeah. yeah, made no money. TLC won two Grammys and they were bankrupt that day. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Gray? Um, yeah, I, I want to just go back in time a little bit um, and focus on the relationship with your parents um, and, and your family around the time because obviously you spent a lot of time in London um, yeah. and you were staying in character, you were avoiding calls, as you said in the documentary from your yeah. mum. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that, that period and, and how it affected your relationship with your family? Yeah, that was the hard. That was genuinely the hardest stuff because I, I've always, I, I like really love my parents and and I kind of, I have a really good relationship with my mom where it's a kind of like best friend type of relationship. We talk about anything, you know. So not being able to talk to them and having to stay in character, that was a big part of the kind of identity crisis that I went through, was not having that touch base, you know. And and I felt like anytime I would be around people from Scotland, the accent, my accent would start to go. So there was, so there was too much fear of like this falling apart you know and that's where like the plan that i had had started to kind of go out the window and it was like don't get caught don't get caught you know whatever you do don't get caught and so the you know fear takes over you know that you're now we're making loads of good money you know we could just turn around and go look this is a thing we probably had a big enough kind of um burst that we could get from the media to kind of maybe even kickstart something ourselves but it was just so much fear so much fear of like of, of not kind of um, winning and not kind of proving ourselves and not kind of like getting the goal. Um, and then, you know, kind of like you keep thinking like, well, when when I've achieved this, the, I, I know that I had such a great family, they'll stick by me through, mm-hmm. through anything. But the weight of what you don't realize when I kind of, and it sounds kind of weird, but when I woke up, um, which is to say that when I stopped being brains, which is to say that when I stopped hearing um, the American accent in my voice, you know, like when you're talking to yourself and you walk along the street, sometimes that voice still comes in my head as American. Like, oh, God. What like, you know, what, what's going on here? And, and it took ages, it took ages out of character for people to kind of be like, hey, dude, you're still doing it. You're going back. I was like, oh, you know, like, oh, my so God. It, it, oh, my God. Really, so from the, from the day that I kind of, you know, I had an overdose and I woke up in hospital and my sister was there 
I couldn't hear brains that day. I like when I woke up in hospital after the overdose, the brains was gone for a moment. Oh my and I was God. able just to talk to my sister and she was able to put down like, look, you know, dad's not been well, you know, like mom's, uh, you know, out of her mind with worry. Like, look at what you're doing to everyone. Like, stop now, stop this now, you know? And, and it was a well-needed kind of like, you know, kind of shock to the chest of like, wow, stop, you've taken this too far. Like everyone's worried. Wow family is so they knew your mom and dad knew i take it they knew to a point they didn't know what we were actually going down for they so they they kind of didn't understand like if you're so talented what's 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 your home accent got to do with it they didn't understand that but once they started seeing me on tv and my sister was like oh turn on to mtv you know and they're like but before you do it just he's a little bit different you know (laughs) them like my mom watching and kind of going, who's this guy? Because I've I'm never I've never been a kind of rude kid. I've, I've never been, I wouldn't be someone who would talk over someone. I'd always have like um, uh, respect for kind of um, elders and stuff like that. So to see me kind of being like on TV, like making fun of Dave Barry's mom in a battle ramp, you know, she was wow. just like, what? What, what is yeah. this? You know? So it was, it was very difficult, but after a while we managed to kind of like, they're just really, really, I went home for a while and they took care of me and they were really, really good. There was, there was kind of like, um, you know, withdrawals and stuff I had to go through from, not from hardcore drugs. I never did hardcore drugs, but I was taking so many different types of medications, which mm-hmm. once were prescribed to me and stuff that I would, cause I knew I was conscious of sweating. So I would take certain types of medications to stop me sweating. I would take horse tranquilizers for this thing and oh uppers for this, downers for that. So I, I was so screwed with the kind of chemistry that the things I was doing in my body with taking all these meds um, and manipulating the chemistry to kind of get in character or to, you know, get out of character, you know, and, and that was the stuff that oh, I needed yeah. help I needed yeah. help from, from family to, to get away from that. And I have the best, I have a great best friend, Oscar Bravo, who was in the group at the start. And I have a great sister and I have another great sister and a great family. So thanks to them, I was able to come out of the kind of identity crisis and it, and it became an identity crisis. At one point, I was gone. I was completely, I believed I was Brains McLeod. I'd started to stop remembering my history because a lot of it was really hard. So I kind of started to believe that Brains history was real. You know, yeah. and that's that's a tough thing to come out of eventually. Yeah, know? actually, this is something I wanted to talk to you about because one of my favorite movies, probably top three, is called Memento. And it's mm-hmm. about a guy who has short-term yeah. memory loss. And he actually goes through quite a bit of trouble to deceive himself. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but yeah. I saw a lot of that, like the self-deception. And, and I just actually released a, my book uh, this last week. Uh, it's called American Abroad, and it's about me being Mexican. I'm Mexican, uh, trying to be Mexican, uh, American, trying to assimilate, dyeing my hair, dyeing my goatee, uh, dyeing my eyebrows. And then I come to South Korea, and I'm trying to fit in in South Korea, and I don't really fit in here as well. So I was going mm-hmm. through all of these identity crises. Um, there's that. But then everybody, like, you may be the most extreme version I've ever heard of my life of people who lie to themselves. Um, mm. Like literally that might be the most extreme, but everybody does this to us. Uh, yeah. Everybody does this to themselves. They remember one little fact uh, when they retell a story or they'll forget one little thing, et cetera, et cetera. 
And it's amazing hearing your uh, evolution to overcome that and how it shaped you now. Uh, I do want to ask you this because I'm a Christian. Adam uh, is an atheist. And we, 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 we like to talk about things so we could see from different perspectives, which is why we have uh, d different ideas in here. And so uh, do you have any spiritual beliefs or a belief in God or what about your family? Yeah, I mean, I, I was raised, you know, my parents were uh, quite religious um, and not of any one type of religion, um, but I was never I was never um, on board with organized religion. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in in religious moments and I believe in spirituality is is absolutely important mm -hmm. um i have a really inc uh, kind of um bizarre relationship with sleep i lucid dream a lot i get a lot wow. of my ideas in sleep and some of the things that you can do in lucid dreaming are beyond religious like they are where you kind of you can wake your mind up in sleep mode and then you can build worlds and so if you think about trying to can tell someone about what i did in my sleep last night sometimes it's good and then sometimes it falls into the most hideous night terrors you can ever imagine so one minute you're in absolute pure beautiful place beautiful um places with the people who are maybe are, who are passed on and so mm -hmm. you know you're in a euphoric place or you're in a hellish nightmares and, and sometimes when i wake up from the the, the euphoria this life is hard to be in because it's, uh, doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't equate to that it's, it's way yeah. better being there and so when you have that type of relationship with your dreams you start to kind of not allow things to be too rigid you know for mm -hmm. either i don't believe in this or i don't i do believe in this i just rather be a bit like water and just you know take everything as it comes if the, the only the, the the things i ha the problems i have are organized like um making a business out of religion i think right, is right. not is not great right. it's a bit kind of um deceiving right. but the ability to believe in something is is a strong thing and i think that's i think it's an important thing for you know people use um religious models to conquer addiction people use um religious models to get themselves out of depression to find happiness you know so I, I do I, I do fully believe in the idea of the word religion and believing yeah. in something bigger than yourself. Um, yeah. I, I just don't like being honed into any one thing or anyone's I right. Get, any anyone trying to tell me that oh our religion's right, our religion is like right. I don't play that game. <laughs> and you know it's interesting. You 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 mentioned that you lucid dream seeing Billy um, meeting him. I thought that was crazy. That, uh, yeah, before had, we met, I'd, I'd seen him, yeah. He told me, and met. something else happened, maybe like a dream or a show or something. You said you saw it like exactly in your dream, but maybe that's kind yeah. of like the law of attraction. I do want to talk something really briefly about myself because my parents uh, were ministers and we adopted a lot of kids into our home. And so mm -hmm. one of these guys, his name was Robert, and he was exact, like I was like really shy, ministers, kids couldn't talk to girls, whatever. And this guy was like a ladies boy. He had all the charisma uh, in the world. And I used to envy him. And of course he was envying me for being having a family and all that stuff. But whenever you were talking about uh, Billy and about like trying to emulate him and you're like, when I met him, he's like what I want to be. Well, mm -hmm. I, I had this, uh, I had to like be like reserved and he had like absolutely zero inhibitions uh, behind him. So that was something I related uh, to you one um, I had also digested 150 sleeping pills whenever I was um, 
in college, I was going through a lot of depression, anxiety, um, uh, insomnia. I totally understand the insomnia thing because that's something that uh, I suffered with for many, many years. It used to take me sometimes four hours to fall asleep, like almost every night. Then it got down to like two, then to like one hour. Now I can fall asleep in 30 minutes. So, but I do want to say this. Um, I'm not, I used to rap actually, but not even probably one tenth of you, but um, I went through a stage where um, it was the partying, it was the prostitutes, it was the, um, you know, just a total unbelievably high flying lifestyle. Like you traveling around the world, going to different countries, doing drugs in Thailand. Um, you know, being American, there's a, being American is naturally, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of tension I got while overseas. So I eventually did wind up coming back to Jesus Christ and um, it's totally changed my life. It, it, it's, it saved me, it's made me a better person. But um, I think seeing your story, it's so powerful. I think on so many different levels, there's so many different levels, but you had talked about the, the self-sabotage and is that something like uh, that you still, that, do you struggle with that at all? Like a self, like a negative self-image or self-sabotage? Because I did that so much. I totally believe that I was not um, worthy of being happy. So is that something you struggle with now or, is it, or, or, or have you come to terms with that? The underlying reasons? Yeah, I mean, it's not something that I struggle with. I mean, no, I, I have a lot of confidence. And I think like the one thing about my story is that it really is a story of confidence. And confidence mm -hmm. is the ability, I measure confidence by the ability to turn an idea into an, a positive action. Mm. So, because it's easy to turn things into a negative action, like, ah, just get angry, you know, mm -hmm. but to be able to turn an idea into a positive action, into a, like a product or into like something that's inspires someone, that's what I then kind of build my confidence on. So I have a lot of confidence uh, to the point where if someone says, I want this, I need this, can you, how, how do I do this? I'm like, oh, well, you know, and I can help them out. Mm -hmm. But I still have like, and most people should, it's a, it's a mechanism that's actually like really good. Um, when someone, when I'm doing a mix for someone or if I'm making a track for someone or if I'm writing someone, the, the first part of the process is to think to myself, oh, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And then I start doing it. I'm going to do it anyway. So mm -hmm. then I start doing it. And then I blow my mind away. I'm like, oh my God, I'm just sitting alone wow. in, in, in a studio going, oh, I'm so good. You oh, know? you just chills in And me. I, feel, I feel great then. But then as soon as I start the next project, oh, I'm so not good. Where, how did I do the last one? You know, and it's constant. It never goes away. But that's a, if I ever started a project and was like, oh, so good. I think the stuff I would do would be crap. I don't wow. think I would wow. have the incentive to make it special. Wow. because. A lot of the time I work on something, I'm I'm scared that it's not going to be good enough. And that's the driving force to prove wow. myself wrong, you know, that prove that it is good enough. And so that's why I think there's a desire in me to always get better at everything I do. Not in a negative, not in a kind of stressful way. Now, it used to be a stressful way. It's like, oh, I need to get better by tomorrow afternoon, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. then be like, ah, oh, that's stressful. But if you just like, no, I'm just going to take this journey. I'm just going to become a better writer. I'm going to just become better at something. Yeah. And and I want hard things. I don't want anything easy. I want hard projects. And I, yeah. in fact, when someone gives you something and they're like, oh, make me a, you know, the pay me, make like a, a hip hop for beat for this artist. That's just too easy for me now. Like I don't, I, I don't take those projects on. If someone says we want a beat that's got, you know, 3% of it is reggae, 1% of it's trap, but 20% of it's like EDM, you know, then I'm like, ah, oh, 
you know this is cool because it's hard it's like yeah. difficult now like how yeah. now i have to go beyond myself to figure out the solution you know so the word con man when people when people use it uh it actually do you know what you know what the con stands for confidence confidence right and that's what it um that's what it is that's that's why people like uh the guy who played leonardo dicaprio uh who, who fooled all those people that he was a, a doctor and a, a pilot and all this stuff fortunately yeah he, he he laundered all that money it's because he, he legitimately was able to play that role so man uh i think you i think you pretty much do anything you put your mind to i i think you might be one of the most unique individuals i think i've ever met brains so, uh, um what you're doing at the moment what's i mean i've seen that you've got quite a bit of music on spotify all the old albums syllable, syllable and brains are on there i've had a great listen uh play with myself what a track loved that fantastic <laughs> really funny great music uh what are you up to at the minute uh so i'm working on the music wise i'm working on the 11th album my 11th studio album which is pretty good it's a uh, it's a very it's uh it's called nightmares and it's um it's not it's like scary but it's kind of a sometimes it's about kind of like the nightmare is like being awake rather than being sleeping so um yeah it's a very cool uh, conceptual album that mixes um edm and kind of like really cool like new dance sounds with hip-hop and rap so i'm wow. really stoked by that really stoked by that it's gonna it's, you know everything i want to do now is kind of i want it to kind of sound a bit different um but still in an entertaining way you know and other than that i'm working on producing other people's stuff um i'm working on some remix stuff uh for my girlfriend and she's got some great stuff coming out and then when i'm not doing that i'm working on the the film uh of our story so and that's a big project so that takes quite a lot of time so there's a lot of screenwriting that i'm doing um and i'm also writing some other tv series and wow. films so yes yeah, so it's pretty much uh pretty much full go and if i'm not doing that then i kind of just find other creative projects that i love um yeah. kind of yeah i'm kind of <laughs> just kind of in and out of a lot of different things but uh writing stories books films wow tv well can I'm you kind tell of like us finishing off albums can you tell us really quickly about your book because uh i would like to give away three copies of that book yeah, so the book it was initially called California Scheming. There's also version. There's also versions of it in other, in different languages. You can get like uh, in Germany and Austria. You can get like the version there. I think it's called Fake uh, there. I never came up with that title. I think that's just random hosted in that in that country. Um, but uh, yeah, then there's the there's a version of it called uh, Straight Out of Scotland. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. Th the books out there and it should it should be available everywhere but it's one of those things it's like you know certain once a book's released like in certain territories it's like right, blows right. up and and it, so they like right. more copies are available over here or like you know right and all I, I in the uk when i type in amazon i i just see that there's you can get hard copy or you can buy okay. the kindle on, on amazon but i'm not sure what that's like in other countries yeah. so well see so we would like to give away three copies of that uh if you want to win a copy I guess hashtag California scheming or straight out. Of, actually, just hashtag either of those because we'll we'll pick yeah. three winners out of there. And then um, what about? Um, I guess three. I guess we'll give away three copies of the movie as well. Which is? Can you tell us about the movie real quick? The uh, the documentary. Yeah, the the documentary. I think you can again. You can buy copies of the DVD of the documentary. Um, 
online or you can get it uh, you know you can get it on amazon and stuff as well it's so right now if you're in the uk or europe that you can get it on the um the bbc iplayer because it got played again recently on bbc so it's on there for 11 months so you can if you have a bbc account you can watch it free wow. um so yeah so you can watch you, you can either watch it online um or you can buy copies of it so yes yeah, um, and then the, the film will be, we're hope, hope, hoping that it's going to be maybe by the end of next year, we should wow. have that in the can. Yeah. What about any uh, social media? Um, my social media, yeah, my social, I mean, I've got, I've got Twitter, but I really, I, I did a thing where I kind of stepped a bit back from social media. I, I use um, the Facebook messenger. So people can okay. contact me at, at Brains McLeod or Gavin Bain or Syllable and Brains. People can just reach out and uh, on the messenger on Facebook and contact me there. I use it really only for that. I don't really go on anymore to Facebook and post and, and stuff like that, really. I just, um, I thought from my own mental health, staying away from social media mm. was, was, was better. Um, I, I, I've got, again, I've got an Instagram, but I don't really use it. Mm-hmm. I just kind of like every now and then when there's a, a, a product, if I'm releasing something, I'll, I'll put some stuff out, but I think it's very much the stories now at the point where it's it's in the uh, the kind of the stratosphere of of stories and it's got such a big name out there that kind of people find it and are constantly finding it and they come reach out to me and I, I think that's a really good relationship. I, I'm not kind of anymore in the situation where I kind of have to do the things that unfortunately like young artists starting out have to do where they have to kind of push their social media like I'm on Twitter all day or I'm on Facebook all day or I'm on Instagram all day and you end up just losing your life you know where (laughs) thankfully i'm at the point where people just reach out to me and say hey and it's like oh hey cool you know so it's it's a nice thing also we're working on a a a a podcast that tells the story in a kind of like tv show format over like 12 episodes so um not sure yet when that'll be ready but that will be coming down the line as well so it's that will be yeah that will be very interesting because there is literally I mean, I, I, there's so many other stuff I have written down here that we're not going to be able to get to, but there's, um, there's, it's layered on so many different levels. Literally it's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. So much to try to unpack. And I think, I definitely thank you for this, this bit that you were able to talk to us. We really appreciate your time. Um, I, I think this, really for so many different levels um why i think this is so important that this this story as i told you about with adam and i we have some very different views on things but one thing that we do like to do is we like to get together and have conversations and be respectful and uh, we talk to people from a variety of backgrounds and i think that's one of the things like whenever you're talking about the trauma that you've gone through i didn't even get to get to that because i really wanted to try to unpack how the the physical attack that you had wind up uh, influencing your psychology and how that maybe played into your character. But uh, again, there's too much to uncover, but but whenever we don't address things, whenever we don't start, um, you know, have conversations and whenever we kind of just brush things aside, as you were talking about, um, you know, brushing things aside, not dealing with them. For me, that's what I did. I went all over the world thinking, oh, I could go to this country and I could be happy there. And I'd get to the country, I was just as miserable as I was there as I was back in my home. And Mm -hmm. so I was constantly lying to myself, constantly telling myself that uh, it was the girl that I was with. It wasn't me. Um, It was the job that I was with. It was always something. There was always somewhere else to point blame. 
and and one of the chapters uh, of my of my book that I'm releasing, uh, American Abroad, it's called. But um, it, it's from a song, and maybe I'll include the song right here. But it says, um, "So the faces of our enemies they change, but not the names; those stay the same." And so for me, that's what it was. It was finding, um, you know. It was finding always different excuses, always different. It was this person, that person. And it wasn't until I started to look inward to where I really started to get uh, healing and, and comfort and stuff. So we're going to make your social medias uh, available. I do want to say this last thing uh, before we let you go. Um, if you could close out and whatever you like to say, any last thoughts, uh, but in an American accent, in a California accent, you think you can pull it off? I'll try. All right. <laughs> I would I would say the the thing the thing with um with with losing yourself and and chasing a, a character is that uh I don't, actually I, it's too hard to actually vocalize okay, okay. the words of this <laughs> um because can't cough and how bad yeah, that sounds but but I I would say like um I don't want to trigger any PTS on you PTSD on you. <laughs> yeah start becoming brains just smash those up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's a part of finding yourself in running away. And that's something that, that a lot of um, people don't quite understand with like, uh, and kind of like hiding from something that's traumatic. There is a, there is a part in some way of finding yourself along a journey that is running away. If you understand at some point along the journey that you are running away, if you never understand that you're running, then you will never find yourself, you know? So I would say like every single person that lives on this planet right now is taking the hero's journey or there's an opportunity to take the hero's journey and the hero's journey starts out as someone who wants something or, or has had something happen to them. He doesn't have it. And they hear a call to action and they get told you either can do it or you can't do it. Or, or there's something over here needs you over there to go and do something, go and chase who it is you're scared to be go out there right and then so they take it and that will always take you into the second the, the kind of the second act the middle part of your story which is where you are gonna try hard to be something that maybe you're not you're gonna try even be something you are but the ego is gonna screw you over and that's gonna take you to a midpoint where you're gonna do something and it's gonna take you past the point of no return and now in this in the second part of the second act you are gonna have to confront who you really are, what you're really running away for. So in the third act of any great story, you're going to have to face your demons. That is the part where you have to face the monster that has been built inside you. And that monster is going to be the negativity, the fear, the trauma, seeing your parents fight as a kid or, or, or being battered yourself or whatever it is, that, that over time becomes a hideous monster. And the only way that you come out of your story at whatever age you come out is when you don't have to defeat the monster but you have to try and defeat the monster and that takes unbelievable amounts of of inner reflection meditation self um looking inward self look at your real self asking yourself who really am i who really am i not what do i want not how much money do i want but who am i and when you understand that, then what I want starts to easily fall into place. So that's the way I would, that's why I would say to people, if you have creative outlets, if you have something in your life that you want to achieve or, or that you really, really love, those things can help um, give yourself 
therapy as well. So for me, I was just super lucky to have a good family, to be able to develop and nurture talent and, and use, use create creativity in a way to deal with what I had gone through. So I, if I would say to anyone, find your talent, go out there, chase it, chase after whatever crazy thing you think it is that you want. But along that journey, find the demon that's holding you back. Try and conquer the demon, try and become honest with yourself, and then you should kind of come out the other side the hero, hopefully. Adam, oh, wow, wow. That's very that's powerful right. stuff. Wow. Adam, any last thoughts? Um, wow, I'm blown away by that. Um, that's probably, um, yeah, I'm not stuck for words often, but um, yeah. thanks for that. That's powerful stuff. That really was powerful. Um, I'd like to thank you for, for the for the story. I mean, I was on a submarine in the Navy when this happened and I lost six years of my life. Um, didn't really follow music, TV, anything. So I didn't know anything about this. Um, my partner, she heard about it. She was in, she lived in Spain. She heard about this. Wow. Um, so watching the documentary and coming, uh, coming across something like this is fascinating, as fascinating as it is. Um, I've, I'm blessed that I actually um, got to speak, to speak to you as well. Um, but really, I, I, I want to thank you because you, you, you've, you stood up yourself and you showed people, you know, never take no for an answer and don't allow people to treat you badly because ultimately that's what you did. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot, Brains. Fantastic. And I'm going to continue with... Uh, Listen to music as well. It's fantastic. Yes, <laughs> okay, Cheers, man. so I'm looking directly into the camera right here. Um, I'm kind of just at a loss of words right now. It's going to take a lot of reflection on this. Uh, when I saw this a couple of months ago, I, it, it was like I was like hypnotized, absolutely hypnotized. And uh, as I told you, um, searching for Sugar Man, the Rodriguez story. Um, I would have said that was the craziest story I've ever heard. And this one actually dethroned that. So um, I, you, you got to explain things that were a lot deeper than um, I, I, I knew going into this, this was going to be my favorite episode. I, and I, I had no doubt. I had no doubt about that, but it totally exceeded my expectations. I want to thank you so much. I, I mean, I really wish, I think that last part, I'm just going to, I'm going to, that last part, I'm just going to make a video of that alone. I think that was. Uh, going to play that back. Yeah, that last little <laughs> bit that you did there. But um, my personal favorite is um, uh, Black Widow. I listen to that every day on my way to work. Um, brilliant. And I'll tell you this. Is that is that literally you on the paparazzi beat? Where you made the exhibit. That's you? Oh, yeah. Raptor exhibits beat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Adam, Adam, you got to listen to that because that is literally the one of the top 10 verses I have ever heard. And I, I've been listening to rap for 30 years. I, I will put that in the top What's 10. What's that, Black Widow? No, 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 not Black Widow. Black Widow is amazing, but it's called Paparazzi. Uh, it's amazing. Paparazzi, so, okay. Yeah. That being said, I want to thank you for joining us today at RET Podcast. It's been a very amazing episode. And you can check us out at www.retpodcast.com. Check us out at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, just about everywhere you can find someone uh, somewhere. To, to listen to a podcast you can find us and so you can also email us at rhcpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to come on as a guest uh we we aren't always just looking for stars we're looking for your average joe blow to have conversations with uh, respectfully doesn't matter if we uh, agree or disagree on topics we're just here to be respectful empathy try to see things from others perspective 
as as Brain put it so brilliantly, we are all on a hero's journey. Every each and every one of us, are, and we're on different stages. So the more we can help each other, I think it's all the better. So thank you, and we look forward to seeing you back again. Goodbye.